listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Couldn't ask for a more perfect day. Honestly, God's been so faithful. So, God is so good. So it was about 10 years ago when I met a gentleman named Yasupado. If I get his translation right, um, it's Feet of Jesus. Uh, when I was in India a little over a decade ago, he told me his story. He was one of the uh, kind of Hindu priests of the village and villages surrounding his own uh, village. And he um, was uh, somewhat self-elected as the one who felt like bringing in or dealing with any foreign religion that was coming in deserved persecution. So he was one of the more violent gentlemen that was doing his best to eradicate any sense of any foreign religion that was making its way into its villages. Christianity being one. He had been the culprit of many, um, pulling many uh, Christians and believers uh, into trial and um, hurting them in, in numerous ways. One day, he uh, heard this really strange sound kind of in the open air as he was walking from village to village. He made his way closer to the sound and actually ended up climbing up into the top of a tree to just listen. The, the music that he had heard was new. He was unaccustomed to it. But his reputation had gone before him, and so as he was in the process of trying to figure out where this sound was coming from, he realized that it was in a small little hut on the outskirts of a village that had uh, been known to have some Christians in it. In the process of that, he made his way down the tree and made his way in to that village. And as you might know, what they were doing was they were singing Christian worship songs. <laughs> They were in the process of having a service. In the open air, the, the word of God and the, the music of God's people had been reverberating in the open air and it had drawn one of the most violent Hindu priests within the neighboring villages. Obviously, you can imagine that many who were as part of that church service had expected that his sole purpose was to bring persecution to this small church setting in a village in India. But that's not what happened. Through the preaching and the singing of God and His Word, he was drawn to the distinction between what he had believed and felt for all of his life and what he had heard and saw in the lives of believers. And so he made his way in to that service. <laughs> Anxiety went up a couple of levels as he walked up to the pastor. The pastor began to talk to him about the truth of the gospel. The reason why he made his way into the church service is because God's people were singing, and he heard it. And there was something unique about the words that were uttered and the songs that were sung that penetrated his heart in such a way that in that moment, he became a believer. His life completely and utterly changed, including his name. What his name was before, he never did tell me. But his name from that moment forward was Feet of Jesus. It's amazing to be here this morning and thinking, I know that we're not in rural India, 
realizing that we're not necessarily being heard from village to village. But the word of God preached in the open air has been something that's happened for generations and singing songs out in the open air. We never know how far the impacts are, but we do know that there's something unique about the words we share and the songs we sing. And what's unique about that is that they're about Jesus and that Jesus does things and changes human hearts, ours included, but also those who would seem like the most unlikely individuals that would encounter the truth of the gospel can be changed by Jesus Christ in a moment. And you and I are a part of the reality of that mission. Jared had communicated very, very powerfully last week as we thought about what it is to like, what it's like to interact with the world around us. How do we think? Is there a a sense in which we desire to withdraw or, or to dominate? How do we move into those places? And and, and realizing that we have to start from a fundamental starting point. And that starting point is this. We are exiles. Our desire is not to make this world look like we want it to look. It's to allow the truth and the rescuing, transforming power of Jesus Christ to change our hearts in such a way that it becomes an agent of change in our communities, nation, and world. We want people to know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, we realize that there are changes that occur in all of our human hearts through that process. And so what does it look like as we think just sitting here in our community surrounded by residential homes and individuals that that some certainly know the transforming power of Jesus, but you know that pocketed within each of these communities, there are so many people that don't know Jesus or disenfranchised or frustrated with God. They've, They've met suffering. Frustration has happened. Maybe they have a bad perception or a situation with the church where they feel like they've been wounded and all of those things have led them to distance themselves from the truth of Christ. And yet we stand here on the corner of Green Oaks and Park Springs as a a church, as a lighthouse, as a place where there's a refuge for those that are hurting to understand the life-transforming power of Jesus. We come as exiles, refugees, if you will. You and I know that we don't belong here. Our hearts and our lives have been fit for someplace else. Until that time comes, though, we have a role and a responsibility. So the main question that I just want to ask us in these next few minutes is what does it look like to live biblically as exiles in a world and in our community most specifically? What ways can we think of practical steps of ways to to move towards and to be so convinced of the transforming power of Jesus Christ that Yasupadam's story, the feet of Jesus, would not just be a story for rural villages in India, but it would be the story of our community. It would be our story where we're communicating the truth of Jesus Christ to the world around us. How are we called to live as exiles in this world? I think Daniel, as a book, as a whole, gives us some really great things to hold on to and perspectives to, to consider and think about what that means to move towards those spaces. And so what I'd like to do is I'm just going to take three different pockets of of instances in Daniel's life as we we think about ways in which we can practically uh, experience or, or use or understand the very ways that he processed the world that he had lived in and how we too can live in a world where we don't fit in, where we are exiles in a world that we don't belong. And so if you have your Bibles and and feel free to, to, to jump on your phone and check it out. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 initially. And here's what I want you to consider. 
I think that one of the things that's so important, and we've done it here at the church, is we think about the demographics of the community around us. So we think about the socioeconomic demographics, and we think about the racial and ethnic demographics. We think about the situations and the job demographics and the, and the, the gender demographics. And we think about who are the people that are around us. And that information is helpful. But one of the key components that I think we need to maybe hold on to as we live as exiles or we live biblically as exiles in, in the world around us is I think we need to understand our demographics relationally. I think what the Bible calls us to, and I think one of the things that Daniel's going to continue to revisit time and time again in all of these experiences is that one of the things that we need to understand is just not the situation of the people around us, but we need to consider how to understand the actual people. Invite ourselves in or invite those others in in terms of knowing what they've experienced in their own unique stories. And so Daniel chapter uh, 1, verse 8 through 16, I think helps us unpackage what it means to understand the demographics of our community relationally. Here's what he says. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Now, often I think we would stop there and say, okay, part of the way that I can interact with the world as living as an exile is to not defile myself, that I'll, I'll pull away from the world around me and realize that I'm not going to do what the world does or live as the world lives. And yet I think the challenge with that is that often it doesn't seem like that has really happened. There are things we do that the world does, ways we think that the world thinks, things we hold on to that the world holds on to. So what happens in Daniel's life as he makes this decision? I want you to look just characteristically at how he begins to approach the process of deciding to honor God as he lives in exile in a world that has no pattern and no perspective of what it means to worship Yahweh. Here's what he says. He asked the chief priests of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were worse conditioned than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head of the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It says in verse 12, test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then our appearance, then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat of the king's food be observed to you and deal with your servant according to what you see. So he listened to them to the, on this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fattened in flesh than all the youths who ate of the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine and they were, uh, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, I don't, I don't think the purpose of this text is for all of us to be vegetarians. But, but I do think that what he's communicating is, is look at the relationship and the posture of Daniel as he makes a, a, a valiant and honorable choice before God. And that choice is to say, I don't want to defile myself. But in the context of those things, as he approaches what it means to separate himself and not do the things that the world is doing, he actually falls within the context of the system. He even communicates with those in authority about what it would look like. And he says, look, I trust God so much that as I live my life before you, I want you to look at my life 
and I want you to look at the decisions I make, and I am certain that as I make the decisions that honor God, my life will be such that you'll be able to scrutinize it and realize that, that I'm better off than all of those individuals that are eating the king's food. So as we think about understanding the demographics of our community relationally, I think first and foremost what Daniel's asking us or considering, I'm asking you to consider from the book of Daniel, is that I think what we need to do is we need to understand the idols of our community. Here's what I mean. Daniel was pretty clear about how the uh, idols existed and what it meant to defile himself. And so he knew what they worshipped and why they worshipped. And that, that was something that was contrary to really what he felt God had wanted him to do. I think often we tend to be fairly dogmatic about the things that we don't struggle with. <laughs> but I think as we understand the idols of our community, it's likely that there would be many that might even surprise us. Many in our community worship at the idol of self-reliance. They move to that altar and believe that if they can be the best version of themselves, they've lived a successful life. So they worship at the altar of self-reliance. The question is, is, do we as well? Is there a place where we feel like we have it figured out or that we're better than those around us? Or do we understand that the life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are in need of as much as those around us? Moving towards our community means understanding the uniquenesses of the community God has placed us in. The unique part of what happens on the corner of Park Springs and Green Oaks is not the same of what happens in villages in India. There's a difference in terms of how we approach those realities. Sometimes the idols are more overt than they are covert. But there's a willingness and a need to say we want to resolve to not defile ourselves, to worship at the same altars of the world, but we want to move relationally towards those who are. Let me just see if I can set an expectation for you. Often I would think that we desire deeply to believe and honor God with the decisions we make in our lives, as we should. But so often we begin to transplant that onto a community and a world that doesn't believe in Jesus. We have an expectation that those who don't follow Christ would live as though they are. And that's just not true. <laughs> when there's a different aspect of how they view the world and philosophically and an understanding or a, a lack of understanding of who God is and what he means, often we would have these expectations that if they would do what we did, then somehow in some way things would be better. Ultimately, that's not the goal. The goal is that individuals come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we do is we recognize that we don't have an expectation that people who are unbelievers live as though they are. What we do is we have the expectation that those who live as unbelievers are in need of Jesus as much as you and I are. We move towards individuals relationally. We understand the idols of our community. We're willing to communicate and recognize that God has called us to certainly not defile ourselves, to honor him with our lives. But we do that by moving towards those who don't know Christ. One of the greatest ways to honor God is to share the truth of Jesus Christ with the world who doesn't know Jesus. <laughs> the mission of God has been clear from day one. He came to seek and save the lost. You are a part of that mission. And so when we move towards our community relationally, we do it by understanding are the idols of our community. We're in tune with the reality of what God is doing in our midst. Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 say this. Obviously, the wind decides to pick up. If this be so, 
And this is, again, in the movement towards the fiery furnace. And they're making the stand and realizing that sometimes making a stand comes at a cost. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship a golden image that you have set up. So again, this consistent theme of what happens in Daniel and his friends is that they're unwilling to defile themselves, but they're not willing to break away relationally from the people around them. God continues to use their faith and their trust and who God has called them to be to move them towards those places where they're making a stand for Christ, but they're doing so realizing that as they make a stand for Christ, the, the gospel transcends their lives in such a way that it impacts those around them. And, and one of the things you see in chapter 4 is that Nebuchadnezzar, who's the, who's the leader of, of Babylon, comes to faith. He, he praises God and begins to understand the fullness of God just because of the work that he's doing through Daniel and his three friends. So I think another place where, where God tells us to, or, or gives us patterns to move into our community is not just understand the idols of our community, but I think it also moves us to a place of understanding the collective hurt of our community. Daniel chapter 4 verse 27 says this, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So again, Daniel becomes, he moves to this point where he's now affecting and influencing those who are in leadership. And one of the things that he continues to beat the drum in the life of Nebuchadnezzar and even in the system as a whole is he says there are people that are hurting and oppressed and, and you leverage your leadership to help those who are hurting and, and move to those who are oppressed because as a body of believers, we can't section ourselves off from the collective hurt of our community and disengage from those things. It's, it's moving towards the hurt. So we're aware of our neighbors and friends and what they're going through in the context of grief that they might be experiencing and in the, in the places of, of challenges within the context of their relationships and in issues with the kids and issues with their school, we're moving towards those spaces because we realize that the gospel has something to say in each of those moments. So here's a place where I would just encourage you to consider. Even when the world seeks to change you, and we can see that often, I mean, we see that the, the fractures in our society are growing greater every day. The world is changed by the work of the Lord through his people. So it's not as though we need to be necessarily influenced by the discipleship or the culture around us. What we're saying is that we would expect to meet brokenness and adversity in the world around us because we believe that God has called us to be a part of relationships with individuals who are broken, who don't believe in Jesus. We're always going to be encountering the mess. And so this is what happens after... Uh, there's this punishment because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't decide to believe in God and he, he sort of does his own way and refuses to be humbled. And then he's humbled and he ends up kind of uh, walking around uh, on the grass like a beast and eating um, the grass uh, like, uh, like a wild beast. And, and here's what happens in verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, listened with my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high God. And praised and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what 
have you done? Nebuchadnezzar, who was not a believer before Daniel and his three friends showed up at all, but through the persevering efforts and the desire to honor God in their lives, Nebuchadnezzar's life has changed. And certainly there's, there's peaks and valleys and challenges, but he begins to understand who God is through the influence of godly men and women in his life. And it doesn't happen overnight. It was during and through the course of time. And he began to be this person that praised God for what had ended up happening. So two things, right? Understand the idols of our community and experiencing the collective hurt in our community, I think moves us to the final point. And the final point is to pursue gospel entry points in our community, meaning places in which the gospel has and there's an opening for an impact in those ways. So Daniel 9, verses 16 through 19, and I'll finish with this. Here's what happens as Daniel begins to pray as they're still in Babylon. There's been transitions in leadership. Some have responded well to the gospel. Some have not. But now he begins to turn his eyes towards his people. And here's what he prays on behalf of the nation. O Lord, Lord, according to all of your righteousness and all of your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, and your holy hill. Because of our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and do his plea for mercy for your own sake. O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we did not present our pleas before you because of our own righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for our own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. I just uh, find it amazing as Daniel concludes aspects of his ministry through this prayer. And the prayer is not about changing the world around him or doing all these things so it looks more comfortable to believers. What he's saying is he wants God's name restored among God's people. And so when we think about ways in which we can find gospel entry points in our community, I think that there are three areas that I would just invite you to consider. I think there are three things that he says in this text that are essential. We pursue gospel entry points in our community through honest confession. I think we can say as a church that we haven't done things perfectly. There's aspects of misrepresentation that we've made on the name of God and decisions we make, things we've said, things we've posted, areas and attitudes and actions that we've had. And in the midst of those things, we recognize that, that God has called us to not defile ourselves and maybe we've been worshiping at the same altar as the world. So through humble confession, I think through humble service and through a singular focus. Through humble service, just meaning that we're looking for uh, opportunities to be able to, to win a voice. And through serving those around us and caring about the people that God has put in our midst and in our neighborhoods opens the door for us to be able to, to share the life-transforming pa- uh, power of the gospel with both by word and by deed. And so just finding ways to think about um, an elderly person that lives next to you and helping mow their lawn or inviting neighbors over for dinner that might not know Christ or considering ways in which it looks like to to be a good neighbor and to be intentional with those around us, to, to have conversations with those who live next door as a way to communicate the truth of the gospel. 
And the singular focus, I think, is something that we can easily get distracted by. There's so many things vying for our attention that I would ask us to consider that one of the things that I think the Lord is compelling us to is to realize that as exiles who live in a world that's broken and progressively moving as God's sovereign hand moves us to an ultimate conclusion, our job is to reflect his character to the world around us. Through thought and through deed, we live our lives with the understanding that we have been rescued by the life-transforming power of grace and those around us need the same thing. That the posture that we have is not that we're just hoping people change positions, but that they, their lives are changed positionally. That it's not just that people agree with us and what we think. The goal is that they would agree with the assessment of the God of the universe that each and every human heart is in desperate need of the transforming power of Jesus. So three things just as a reminder as I close. As we understand our context relationally, I think Daniel compels us to understand the idols of our community, experience the collective hurt of our community, and pursue entry points, gospel entry points in our community. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we do thank you for your kindness. We thank you that the only reason we are able to communicate that we are children of God is because we've been rescued by the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. Someone in some way through the course of our story, has shared with us the truth of the gospel. By thought and by deed, by word and by action, individuals have cared enough about us to tell us about Jesus. God, would you compel us as members of this community to be a light, that this would not just be a church that's on the corner of Park Springs and Green Oaks, but we would be a, a home for the hurting. We would be those who are intentional in loving the community around us with the transforming power of Jesus Christ. God, would you so fit us for that task until you call us home, that we might be that that reflects your character to the world. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.